Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast. We're glad you're here. This year, we are walking through the whole Bible together as a church family, day by day and week by week. We meet at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person or catch our online gatherings by checking out our website at newgarden.church online. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Good morning and welcome to week 48 in our year-long series through the Bible, Long Story Short. This week we've got a pretty easy assignment, only the entire book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans is a detailed explanation of the gospel message written by Paul to the church in Rome. Now, since the garden, humans have repeatedly chosen sin and rebellion over living by God's wisdom. God's covenants with his human partners were imperfect, and humans failed to be faithful to the agreement. But Jesus established a new covenant that is open to all people, Jew and Gentile, creating a multi-ethnic family of God where self-giving love and forgiveness are at the center of everything. Romans explains how faith in Jesus justifies all people and creates this unified multi-ethnic family and a path to righteousness. Paul will write in Ephesians that God's plan is to unite all things in heaven and earth under the banner of Christ. If this is the case, then it must be that one of the Satan's greatest objectives is to produce division. That is why so many of Paul's writings have the aim of unity. Galatians, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Romans all revolve around themes of unity, specifically with regards to issues between Jews and Gentiles. Now, while our generations today are acutely aware of the division that swirls around us, we need to remember that our age is not unique. From the beginning of the church history, division has been a great enemy of unity, and it's at least one of the reasons why Paul wrote so many letters to the early Jesus communities. Paul uses slightly different tactics in each letter based on the situation to deal with the disunity between Jews and Gentiles. And since Paul never visited Rome, this may be why he provided his most comprehensive answer to the Jew-Gentile issue in this particular letter. Now, while it is probably true that the first converts in Rome were Jewish, it did not last long. A significant Gentile population began streaming into the church. This coming together of diverse backgrounds caused no small amount of disagreement about what it meant to follow Jesus. For Paul, in Romans, the answer to division can be summarized in one word, die. This answer to the problem was based on the death of the Messiah. His answer is not for Jews to fight for their rights or boast of their Jewish heritage or for Gentiles to brag of their freedom from the law, but for both to follow the Savior in His humiliation. True, abundant, flourishing life can only be had by walking hand-in-hand with Jesus through the darkness of death to ourselves. Paul wrote his epistle to Rome to deal with these divisions and explain to them how the work of Christ can be applied to these fractured relationships between Jews and Gentiles. He wrote to churches that needed to be reminded of the justifying and therefore unifying work of Christ. They could then begin to have their orthopraxy, their right actions, line up with their orthodoxy, their right beliefs. Or better yet, to have their orthodoxy drive their orthopraxy. He begins the letter detailing the reign of sin and its destructive force. 
in the middle of the epistle, he gives the theology that overturns destruction and brings peace, life, and hope. For Paul, the gospel was the answer. Finally, at the close of the letter, he contrasts the destructive behavior he explains in chapters 1 through 3 with the living lives of sacrificial love. Each cycle of the material informs the other and gives us marching orders in terms of our actions and thought life in the midst of cultural and spiritual division. So you have a death cycle in Romans 1 through 3, life through death in 3 through 11, and finally a life cycle in 12 through 16. Let's start with the death cycle. Paul begins with three chapters about the reign of sin and the death cycle that it produces. This cycle is put into motion by disordered worship. The mistaken love for ourselves and the things of this world leads us to futile thinking and darkened hearts. And when our hearts and our minds are darkened, we begin to worship that which we should not be worshiping. Our bodies, sexuality, creatures, our personal identity. As G.K. Chesterton said, when we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing, we worship anything. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness by giving people over to their corrupt desires. His wrath is justified because people are rejecting God and destroying themselves and one another. In some sense, Paul is explaining that division and sin is ultimately a worship issue. If the people in Rome are struggling, it is because they are worshiping the wrong thing. This text speaks specifically of the cycle of death as leading to malice, envy, strife, and deceit. Sin and disordered worship are not merely personal and internal realities, but realities that manifest themselves in destructive behavior. Hatred, strife, and envy are all fruits of the death cycle. For Paul, disordered worship and a misunderstanding of the God of the universe are a source of division. Most likely, Paul brought up these specific things because he wanted to show Jews and Gentiles the root of their division and how disordered worship caused them to plunge headlong into destruction. Paul's solution for this cycle of death is found in blood. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The unorthodox and destructive practices that Paul lists at the beginning of Romans are answered with the death of Christ. Here, Life confronts death and conquers it through resurrection. The death of the Messiah covered the wrath of God for sin and brought life. The righteousness that both Jews and Gentiles seek after cannot be found in their works, whether they may be good deeds of the Gentiles or ceremonial works of the Jews. God's justice is only found in following the one who has life in himself. The peace that was lacking in the cycle of death is gifted to Jews and Gentiles because now they have peace with God through Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Jews and Gentiles are no longer part of a death cycle, but have been transformed to another domain. They have died with Christ in baptism and will be raised to life with Him. The old cycle, enslaved to the death cycle, has been crucified so that we are no longer under the power of sin. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The hope that Paul presents is loaded with a theology of the death and resurrection of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Jews and Gentiles can walk in newness of life because of the works of Christ. They can do this because of God's great promises to them and His unending love towards them in Christ. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. While Paul began the first section with disordered worship, He closes this section with ordered worship. He speaks of the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God and praises Him for the gifts that God has given. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him And for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Now that Jews and Gentiles have heard of the depths of the love and judgments of God, he transitions to speak of how they can now begin to live a new life in 12 through 16. The life cycle, not surprisingly, must come by death. A disciple is not above his master, and therefore followers of Jesus must follow him in his death. As Paul explains, the death of Christ provided true life. In the same way, the way to life for Jews and Gentiles is only through death. They are to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, we might read this and think, how can Paul pair living with sacrifice? It's because his theology, this orthodoxy, instructs him that life comes not by avoiding death, but by pressing into it. But what are Christians to die to? They're to die to their worldly ways of strife and malice and deceit. They're to put to death what is earthly in them, what is in conformity with the world. Gentiles were not to have arrogance over the Jews. The strong were not to despise the weak. Neither were they to pass judgment on one another. They were to pursue what makes for peace and mutual growth. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. They are to put to death high thoughts of themselves. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. They are to practice unity among themselves. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Also, they are to love one another. Bless those who persecute them. Live in harmony with one another. Repay no one evil for evil. Live peaceably with all and not take vengeance. 
Now, Paul closes the letter to the Romans by warning them against people who cause divisions among them. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Now, we should notice that this list is the flip side of the jealousy, strife, malice, and deceit that characterized those who were outside of Christ in chapters 1 through 3. So, throughout the letter, Paul instructs both Jews and Gentiles that the way to life is by looking to the Savior and imitating Him in His death. There is little talk of rights and what is owed to other people. Rather, Paul instructs Jews and Gentiles that the only way to peace is by faith in the crucified Messiah and a life that embodies his actions. When Paul thought of the division that existed in Rome between the Jews and the Gentiles, his mind ran to the cross of Christ and the new life that it provides. In Romans, he argues that the solution to strife and malice is a double death, the death of Christ and our own death. In the same way, Jesus' followers of today are to embody this message to the world. They are to be an aroma of death to the world so that people can find true life by looking to the death of the Savior of the world. And each week, we remember this death by going to a table to break bread together, which reminds us of the death of Jesus and His call for us to die to ourselves and live for Him. Let's go to the table. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode again next week.